Okay, and the story begins. All right. Okay. Chapter 31. Oh, wait, I did chapter 30. Uh -oh. I'm just... That's <laughs> <laughs> a good chapter. <laughs> chapter 31, 30 is a good chapter. 30, you know what? We could do 30 again and again and again until we, we drill it in our heads because it's such an important chapter. Yeah. Um, but we're moving on. No more. <laughs> chapter 30. There Are we you go. ready? Lachaim. Are you Lachaim, ready? Lachaim. Lachaim. All right. The Dykeman <laughs> Brothers. I don't have a dream. <laughs> chapter 31, page 348. We're not going to do the full chapter today. It's a psychologically insightful chapter, I thought. It's a challenging chapter. For some reason, I have a hard time with it. I don't know why. Did you see a lot of repetitions in it from previous chapters? Yes. It, it kind of is summing up the theme that we've been, we've been discussing. Good call. So, so just to, to recap on our theme here. The overall theme since chapter 26 was to motivate ourselves in our relationship with God. Um, earlier in chapter 26 through 28, we discussed different obstructions to our motivation, whether it be worries, concerns, guilt, sad, uh, sadness, um, shame, all these different psychological challenges that may obstruct our motivation. We, we learned how to deal with that. Then we got to chapter 29. What's obstructing my motivation in chapter 29? I'm desensitized. And because I'm desensitized, I'm more in touch with my body than I am my soul. And I'm not inspired. So while I conceptually understand Judaism, I conceptually appreciate it. It doesn't mean anything to me emotionally. And having trouble being inspired so i'm having trouble being motivated so what we said was we need to you know the, the the fire is not catching on the log so we need to make that log more receptive we need to somehow become more receptive to inspiration sometimes our own arrogance gets in the way which is very natural it's very normal to feel that i'm a body and i have somewhere deep down inside i have a soul it's very normal but the more we shift our focus, the more we humble ourselves, the more we can become, we get in touch with the faith that we already have with that soul, the more we can sense it. Chapter um, 29 gave five different meditations, tough, vulnerable conversations we need to have with ourselves that can um, help, that can humble us, that can help us develop that sensitivity Make us be more open to the soul. Chapter 30 discussed another uh, meditation in which to humble ourselves in our relationships with others by not judging other people and applying the demands that we put on them to our own selves. Now in our chapter, chapter 31, he says, wait a minute. All of this, these difficult discussions we're having with ourselves have a reverse effect. The, the, the goal in humbling ourselves is to open ourselves to something bigger. But if I'm not careful, I could just depress myself. I could make myself sad. I could disappoint myself. Um, let's take a look on 348. 
the last uh, second to last line on the page. Now, even okay, he says. Now, even if you spend an hour or two or more, you spend some sort of time period delving into the above concepts in chapters twenty nine and thirty at great length, which are these tough, um, ego deflating, vulnerable conversations to achieve ego deflation and a broken heart. As a result, you get really depressed, right? If we do it wrong, ideally, if we do it right, you go to the gym and you do things right, you come out stronger. But if you're not careful, you could pull a muscle, you could get sore, right? We could end up getting depressed with these emotional exercises. He says it's not a cause of concern. Sometimes this sadness could be a good thing if it is done in the right context. We first have to redefine to redefine depression, we have to understand what that means. And the Alter Rebbe introduces two kinds of depression. And I'm, I'm going to, in, in our book, he translates it, the Hebrew word is atzvut, which means depression in the literal sense of the word. Um, a feeling that is depressing us. So I'm going to switch to a different word. I'm going to call, we're going to call it negative emotions. Negative emotions has a more, a less, number one, it has a less clinical connotation, um, which in clinical words, you got to be very specific and very careful. Um, that's number one. Number two, negative emotions are more broad because this isn't specific to depression. The Altareb introduces two types of negative emotions to us. There's what's called atzvot, literally translated as depression. And then there's what's called merirut, literally translated as bitterness. And what the Alter Rebbe points out is if what you're feeling is atzvot, we'll discuss what the difference is soon, which is the depressive type of negative emotion. That's not a good thing. But if these meditations lead to merirut, which is not a depressing negative emotion, it's a bitter negative emotion, that could be a good thing. Take a look on three top of the page, the first bold paragraph. Um, the most positive outcome of a broken heart and bitter soul by distance from the light of God's face and being enmeshed with the Sitra Akhra is not what we call Atzvut depression in Hebrew. I feel sad that I'm desensitized. And this feeling came about through my vulnerable conversation that I had with myself. Yes, I feel sad. Yes, it's a negative emotion. Doesn't mean it's a bad emotion. It doesn't mean it's depression. What is depression? I'm going to skip to the next bold paragraph. Since atzvus or atzvus is not an emotion you want to harbor for too long since in that mode, your heart sends a stone and the heart Devoid of vitality. Depression means, you defined it right here. Atzvut, a depressing, a depressing feeling means I have a heart of stone and I'm totally desensitized. No energy, no movement. I'm just gone. I'm emotionally dead. That's the Altarebbe's definition of depression. Bitterness, on the other hand, Berirut, 
which is the good kind of negative emotion. The next paragraph, rather, you should aim to transmute the atzvot immediately to merirut, bitterness, and brokenheartedness, which on the contrary energizes the heart to be stirred and embittered. So there's a difference between the two. The line is quite fine, but there is a difference. Um, difference clearer yet or no? Ish? I'm going to share... I'm going to share my screen with you, um, if I may. Where Where were you reading that? What page? This was sorry. This was on page three fifty one. Um, the first three bold paragraphs. Um, the the second, the th paragraph two and three, uh, um, describe the difference between. Um, <clears throat> sorry, the depression, and Marybeth. Oh, one second. I'm on the wrong page. How do I do this? Oh, there we go. Tanya Club. Hold on. Okay, there we go. Okay. Can you see my screen? Okay. Yalkut Divri Aaron. This is text uh, number one. It's a teaching from Rav Aaron of Karlin. Aaron of Karlin was a Hasidish Rebbe. In the times of the Alter Rebbe, in the times of the author of the Tanya, they, they uh, a love-hate relationship. They were good buddies. They were good friends, but they had very different approaches to to Hasidicism. Very different approaches. So philosophically, they clashed. It's, it's very interesting, but there's still a lot of overlap. And at the end of the day, a Jew is a Jew, and it's all the same Torah. And but just historically, it's interesting. Of Aaron of Karlin says there is a fine line between atzvut, which we translate as depression, and merirut bitterness. They're very similar. There's a fine line between the two. What's the difference? After experiencing atzvut, one goes to sleep. Right? You don't want to do anything. A person who's depressed just doesn't want to do anything. After experiencing Merirut, one cannot sleep. They seize the opportunity to be productive with study and prayer. So the difference between Atzvot and Merirut, they're both negative emotions. But one is hindering and one is motivating. Uh, the distinction is so important. When we're having these deep vulnerable, challenging conversations with ourselves, when we're trying to humble ourselves, if we feel negative emotions, if the negative emotions are hindering our productivity, then we've got it wrong. It's like going to the gym and you know we hurt ourselves and we're continuing to hurt ourselves and continuing to exercise. It's not a good thing. But if it's motivating us, then temporarily it's a good thing. The outcome should be joy, which we'll soon see. Just to highlight the difference. Can I ask you something? Is it like a sliding scale? So what? you sliding scale. So you you try and work your atzvot to merry root. If you got merry root, you can got energy. Then you can so you you fuel it. So it's a sliding scale, and you got to try keep on the positive side to get there. So you got to keep moving that sliding scale. Exactly. It it there's a cycle. 
It's like a it's slight, like emotion. It's the bitterness is like right at the end of the emotion sliding scale. Right. It's it's kind of a feedback loop. That bitterness humbles us, makes us more sensitive, and now that to our souls, we can experience joy. But it's a that bitterness. You have to be. You're walking on very. You're treading on thin ice because it could be depression. It could be hindering us. I don't mean clinical depression necessarily. But it could be depressive rather than motivating. Um, just to highlight this idea, so the the the, the Rebbe gave an uh, analogy. You know, a seed has to decompose before it grows. Sometimes, in order to emotionally bop blossom, we have to kind of decompose like that seed. But that seed must decompose in the right context. It has to be on Earth, not on the table. Not on your dining It's not going to decompose in your kitchen. It's going to decompose in earth that has the right nutrients. If we experience this marimba in the right context, it's very healthy. If it's done in the negative context, in a reactive context, in an unintentional context, it could be very bad. I'll tell you a story. I just read this story today. I thought it was so interesting. There was a wealthy person who ran a Jewish community. He didn't run a Jewish community. He was part of a Jewish community in a little shtetl. But because he was wealthy, he was very influential. And he made all the major decisions that took place in the city. All communal decisions pretty much decided, had to go through, had to get his green light. Influential. I'm not necessarily saying this is a good thing, but this was just the reality. Came time, a rabbi, for the sound, and you have to get approved. You have to audition, or get tested, interviewed by this wealthy person. And the person always had he had one question, and if the rabbi could answer, and he would to his liking, they could get the position. And several rabbis have tried and failed, and here was his question. When the Torah discusses our slavery in Egypt, the Torah says, et The Egyptians embittered their lives. Merirut, their lives. And he says, the Torah, notes, the trap, the tune that's used for those words is a more upbeat, positive tune rather than a somber tune. You'd think it would be a somber tune, but why is the tune, the cantillation notes, why is it an upbeat tune when it says they embittered their lives? Different rabbis tried giving different answers, none to his liking. Came time to audition a Chabad rabbi who was familiar with the difference between sadness and bitterness, depression and bitterness, atzvot and mirirut, because that rabbi had learned chapter 31 of Tanya, and he had the answer. Says the reason is because Meriwut, bitterness, is not necessarily a sad, really somber. It could lead to great joy. Sadness is hindering. Depression, depressive feelings are hindering. Bitterness could be motivating. So it's done with a happy tune, and he he was pleased with the answer. This rabbi got the position. 
I'm not sure if he wants to work with a guy like that, but anyways. <laughs> but that was the story. Um, it brings out the point. Watch the interview. What? Yeah. One well, question interview. <laughs> <laughs> One question interview, he got the position. Rabbi, there was a rabbi, his name was Yechezkel Fagan. His nickname was Chache. It was Reb Chache Fagan. He was a secretary to the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. And they were living in Russia, communist Russia. And he had a Fabrengen with the yeshiva students. He was leading a Fabrengen with the yeshiva students, a small gathering of inspiration to try to motivate and, and gain Hasidic warmth and inspiration together with the. But this is communist Russia, and Fabrengens are forbidden. Jewish gatherings are forbidden, even though this was in, informal. And one of the students, you know, Rabbi Chacha Fagan was making specific demands, um, trying to challenge the yeshiva students to grow in their Judaism, with more introspection, to grow in their relationship with God. And one of the students who wasn't, didn't always take things so seriously, you know, it hit a, a soft point in him, and he began to cry. He began crying. Minutes later, there was a different yeshiva student who was keeping watch at the window and make sure no KGB people come by. And he sees a KGB person coming. He alerts everybody. Everybody disperses, hiding under the table, hiding in the closet, hiding behind the dressers. Everybody's hiding. KGB person wasn't checking up on them, happened to just walk straight by them, wasn't even going that direction. They all come out, they continue. Rebchat Fagan says to them, wait a minute. How come when I'm talking about growth in our relationship, you, you cry? But when you see a KGB person coming, you disperse. You actually do something about it. He says, this is the difference between atzvut, depression, depressive feelings, and merirut, bitterness. One just gets you to cry and not do anything about it. And one actually motivates, gets us moving. It's a negative feeling. I don't know if it's a negative feeling. It's a somber feeling, but it gets us moving rather than hinders us. If it hinders us, it's not holy. If it motivates us, it has the potential to become holy. Make sense? Yeah. On page 350, it says something interesting. Even though this Merirut kind of comes from Klippa, has a little bit of a negative tone to it, it's still, that's the best tool to use to combat negativity. Because sometimes negativity needs a taste of its own medicine. And the sages in the Talmud, you want to chop down a tree, you know what you need to chop down a tree? You need an axe with a wooden handle. The best tool to use to chop down a tree is the tree itself. Right? The forest itself that you're chopping down the trees with comes from, that, that axe comes from that forest. The best tool to use to chop down the tree is the tree, essentially. Sometimes the best tool we have to get rid of negative emotions 
are negative emotions. And that's the idea of using mirirut, sadness, to combat negativity. I have a question. Yeah. So, like, you know that um, everybody who's like, um, who wants to go to Israel and, and they, they, everybody wants to go to the army. So is that, is that linked to the, the energizing because of the bitterness? Sorry, you cut out for the last 10 seconds. You, you know, like all, all the people, I, I can't go. Uh, is it because of the bitterness that they, they want to fight because they're with their negative emotions? So instead of like, you know, the fight, flight, and freeze reaction. So the positive thing is actually going to the army and fighting for the army. And, and that's why a lot of the Israelis and a lot of the people in South Africa, they go and they sign up for the army. Because they're doing something about it. Yeah. It's doing something about it. That, that's bottom line. means I'm doing something about it. And it may be coming from a more harsh place. You know, there's different divine channels. There's the divine channel of chesed, kindness. There's the divine channel of which means severity, discipline. Sometimes a feeling, um, sometimes a feeling is motivated by kindness. Sometimes a feeling is motivated by discipline. Sometimes there could be a mixture of both. So you can have tough love, right? You can have um, love that expresses itself in a disciplinary way. You could have discipline that expresses itself in a loving way. You can have a combination in either way. What it takes to battle negative emotions are emotions that are holy, but come from discipline rather than from kindness. And they're still holy. But it's a fine line between being holy and unholy, between being marirut and atzvot, between being motivating and being hindering. But when it's motivating, it's taking that axe from the forest, and that's what you're using to chop it down, because it's kind of it has a similar flavor. Does that make sense? Questions, comments? Are you, oh, Mike, were you talking? No, I was just confirming, uh, you know. He's giving confirmation. Okay. And the, um, the bottom of 350, the second to last bold paragraph. And about this, it was said. Every sadness there will be profit. We quoted this verse in chapter um, 26, a verse from Proverbs by King Solomon. Every sadness will have profit. The profit being the joy that comes after sadness. But it can't be atzvot, it can't be depression, because that will hinder the It has to be marirut, motivated joy. Okay, any examples? Any examples that you could think of to highlight the difference, a practical difference, a clear difference between Marirut, bitterness, sadness, and, and, and sadness, which is Atzvot. Between a motivating negative feeling and a hindering negative feeling. Any, any examples that you can 
you can provide to highlight the difference. It doesn't have for, to be personal. For me, you be. for me, being sick, I could be, I, I do go through uh, some depression sometimes, but it's been motivating. I've learned to pray with fervor. Okay, beautiful. Beautiful. So that now becomes an engine rather than just a, a stepping stone, rather than a stumbling block. So that would be Marirot, then Atzvot. I've got an Atzvot. Um, so the, 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 the seemingly never-ending stream of work that I have to do that literally it feels like there's never any end in sight, even though I enjoy the work. It's just like, there's not much I can do about it. So I can't find a way to like, think positively about the insurmountable amount of work. So it's, it's very unproductive and yet I can't shake it. Right. Okay. Good example. I have two for each. So okay. both have to do with COVID-19 and, and the lockdowns and all that. So. A lot of businesses have been hurt. They they can't. They feel they can't keep their business going. So, complain. Reinventing their business, like so, Rabbi Resnick, for example, of uh, Neil, that um, you know, you can't have people coming to his studio now, but he figured out a way. I don't know the details, but he figured out a way to continue with his students. Um, I guess on Zoom or whatever. So. There's the type of person who just wow. felt like they couldn't do anything. They got depressed and, oh, we're going to go out of business. And then the ones who seize the opportunity. Good example. Beautiful example. There's a, a lady in our community who told me she's a very upbeat lady. So, and knowing that really made this story all that much more impressive to me. Her husband passed away a long time ago. She was relatively young, probably, you know, over a decade ago. And she fell into a depression. Very sad. She was, she was very sad and she wasn't really motivated to continue life. She was really unmotivated in life, which is really the Altarebbe's definition of depression. A lifelessness in the heart, like a stone. It really was obstructing her. She said, not too long after she was diagnosed with cancer. And at this point, she had to actually make a, a conscious decision. Am I going to continue life? And am I going to fight? Or am I ending it here? And when she was faced with that decision, she decided to continue life. And now she had to go through life intentionally, um, especially the emotional side. And she really had to fight and, and work on herself being taught to be positive. Fortunately, her negative situation motivated her. It, wasn't, it turned from depression to bitterness to Mariba. It turned from hindering to motivating. She said she's working on a book called How Cancer Saved My Life. Because it, it, it did just that, unfortunately. Um, but it, but it, it motivated her to, 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 to have a drive in life pushed her. Whereas before that, she had a depression that was stopping her. So 
Oh, no, I didn't know you're. Go for it. No, no, go for it. I was going to say, it seems like I've heard this uh, described in a different way before as there are two types of people, one who wants to complain about their situation and become a victim, somebody else in the same situation, rather than complaining, becoming a victim, they, they do something about it. Right. Right. Being a victim or a victor. And the outcome of the bitterness should be joy, and we'll talk about that soon. Before we get to that, when is the most appropriate time to allow ourselves to experience bitterness? If it happens on its own, if it happens um, reactively, which it likely will, it's probably not bitterness, it's probably atzim, that depression. One key difference um i don't know if this is true 100 percent of the time but this is definitely going to be true most of the time is if i experience it on unwar- if it's an unwarranted experience it's probably sadness and that's the Sahara. that's our evil impulse that's our animal soul it's not healthy if it happens intentionally it may be marie root or doing it right and it could be motivating Here's what it says. Um, the second to bottom paragraph, second to last paragraph on page 352, toward the bottom of the page. Therefore, our sages of blessed memory taught, a quote from the Talmud, a person should always make his impulse to good, angry at his impulse to evil. A person's good impulse, good inclination, should get angry at the negative inclination, at the Yetzir Hara. Arousing holy anger, which is not sadness, but bitterness, against its impure counterpart. Now, when we say always, I'm going to continue reading to the the last paragraph, that doesn't mean all the time. Rather, whenever you see that your soul needs it. Use this sparingly, because it's trapped in negative energy. Now, when's the most ideal time, though? How do you know when you need it? In the evening, because I read it. Okay. <laughs> During shelter, right? When we're all locked up. Um, let's take a look on 353, the first paragraph. However, generally speaking, it gives some really sound advice here. This is, I think, incredible. Generally speaking, an ideal time to do this for most people is particularly an appropriate time is when you're depressed and in any case, when you happen to be feeling depressed, when a feeling over a wave, a negative wave comes and depresses you in the literal sense of the word, now you have an opportunity to somehow transform that into into a motivation rather than a hindrance. It's when you're depressed in any case, either due to material circumstances or you're simply depressed without any obvious reason, then it's an ideal time to transmute the depression into something positive. If anyways, you're feeling a negative um, energy that's hindering, that's sucking the life out of you, perfect opportunity to say, hey, if there's a fine line between atzvot, depression, maruud, bitterness, if I'm experiencing depression, 
Why don't I just tip the scale a little bit, alter my perspective a little bit, and allow this to motivate me and turn it into Marirut? sense especially if we're if we're allowing ourselves to experience if the negative feeling is there anyways we might as well take advantage right okay now the reaction to all of this should be the outcome of this should be joy should be simcha um i have a question so, so to energize yourself, you have to put fire to the log because your heart becomes heavy. Sorry. So, like, um, each person will have something different that they will do to 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 energize themselves. So, I mean, reading stuff like from the Tanya or doing like, um, reading positive things to get you to that area of bitterness so that you can actually be energized to actually fix whatever's broken. But I, I, yeah, it's it's like. You need to prescribe to people what the possibilities are of things to do to put fire in, because every this fire is too abstract. Good, good point, good point. And you, in fact, you actually just reminded me of something I wanted to share on the screen. Um, I think you'll appreciate this. I'm going to share the screen again. Um, here we are. Okay, can you see it? Okay, text two. Text two is an excerpt from a teaching by the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, and here's what he says. He says, Marirut, the bitterness, it's like medicine. If taken at the right time, it's helpful. However, if it's taken too often, it's harmful. Marirut is merely just a tool. We have to use it sparingly. We have to use it cautiously. The best time to take that medicine to employ Marirut is when anyways we're feeling negative emotions. I'm anyways feeling this wave of depression that's hindering me. I might as well redirect it so it's bitterness, so it's motivating rather than hindering. And you're right, everybody's going to experience that differently. Just like that medicine, everybody's going to have to have their own prescription. Which is probably also, you know, it's important to have a guide. Um, like it says in Perkei Avot, everybody needs to have a mentor, um, some sort of coach that can help them in their journey. Okay, makes sense? But good, good point, definitely. Everybody's going to need their prescription. Okay, the reaction to all of this should be should be simcha, should be joy. Bottom of page 353. And afterwards, uh, um, the second to last paragraph, right where it says section 3, and afterwards you'll come to true joy. True joy. Not just joy, but true joy. True joy means a joy that endures and a joy that's actually joyous over something that's true. Um, th there's a difference between happiness and excitement, joy and excitement. And the Alter Rebbe is saying we're not just going to get excited. You know, pizza makes us excited, makes me excited. Pizza and Diet Coke with a bendy straw, a lot of ice, it makes me excited. It doesn't make me happy. If we want to feel happiness, 
to feel joy, to feel simcha. This will help us feel simcha. How? By reflecting upon the following positive meditation in your heart, so as to give yourself a double measure of comfort. In the wake of your earlier meditation on the true but negative words mentioned above. So this is what you should say to yourself. Last paragraph on the page. What I said in my earlier depressing meditation is definitely true. I am definitely distant from God. Um, perhaps I'm repulsive in my tendencies, my lusts, my behaviors. True only with what I consciously identify as me, namely my body with its energizing animal soul. Nevertheless, within me is a piece of God. However distant I may be in my relationship with God, however distant I may be, however insensitive I may be, that's not the real me. There's another part of me, and that's my divine soul that's within me. And everybody has this spark of God. Everybody has this divine soul. The whole point in this difficult conversation we're having with ourselves is just so we could be more sensitive to be conscious of that divine soul. So yes, the negativity still might be there. But I don't have to identify with it. That doesn't have to be the real me. I'll tell you a story. There, um, President Shazar. Zalman Shazar, he was the president of Israel. He was visiting New York and he had an audience with the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, in 770. And, you know, for those of you who have been to 770, it's a busy place. Um, there's a yeshiva that goes on there. There's the Rebbe's interaction that he has with people, but there's also a yeshiva. When you see the Rebbe's leading the big Fabrangans, at night on those videos, you know, with thousands of people. In the daytime, there's yeshiva students studying. And Rabbi Shmuel Levitin, who was one of the teachers in the yeshiva, was teaching a class on Tanya. He was teaching this exact chapter. In fact, he was teaching this section that we're reading right now. And he told a story. And the reason why I mentioned Zalman Shazar, because Zalman Shazar was sitting in on this lesson, on this lecture. Somehow he ended up in that lecture listening to the listening to the class. Um, maybe it was something he needed to hear. I don't know why it's so relevant to the story, but that's how the story goes. In Shmuel Levitin, Rabbi Shmuel was giving, teaching this exact um, line that we just learned. That yes, I may have my negative tendencies, but that's not me. That's my body. I have a soul. And he gave an analogy. There in Tsarist Russia, this is actually, this is a true story. The analogy you gave was a true story. There was a Tsar, what was his name? I'm looking it up right now. I'm sorry, I want to get the name because it gives more validity to the story. It was Tsar Nikolaev. Sure I can't pronounce it. It was, uh, it was, I think his name was Nikolaev. I can pronounce that. <laughs> okay. One of the czar, one of his soldiers, um, thought he had more time than he did. Stepped out of line, goes into the river to bathe, unclothed. 
And as he gets out of the river, the czar shows up. He's standing there stark naked because he just came out of the river bathing. His uniform is on the ground. And everybody's supposed to salute the czar with uniform. And he's in his birthday uniform and he salutes the czar. <laughs> What's he supposed to do? <laughs> so, he, you know, he tries playing it cool. And just... Um, Tries playing it cool. He's not going to jump back in the river. You know, too, too late for that one. He already he was already spotted. Salutes the czar. The czar says, "Where was you know you 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 messed with the czar, you know, and you catch him. He woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You know, you don't necessarily get to live that day." And he's a little nervous. The czar says, well, "You're not wearing a uniform. You're going to get punished for this." He says, "With all due respect." What is my job here? You are a soldier. That's good. You're here to serve the king. Am I serving the king or are my clothing serving the king? You're serving the king. This is good. Clothing is something I wear, but that's not what serves the king. I serve the king. And I'm right here. This is what he tells the czar. The czar was impressed by the answer. He allowed him to live. Shmuel Levitzen's telling this story in 770 as he's teaching. This is exactly what's happening in our chapter. Sometimes we may have messed up. Sometimes we not only may have messed up, we have attitudes that are messed up. We have lusts that are inappropriate, that are such a deep part of us. At the end of the day, that's our clothing. We dig deeper, we'll discover the true us. We have a soul. And we can get to that with a little bit of sensitivity. I don't know if I've said this before, but I love it, so I'm going to say it again. If you get bored from it, I apologize. <laughs> um, we have very two different, two very different philosophies in psychology. There's Freudian psychology, and there's Frankilian. I'm not pronouncing it right, but there's there was Viktor Frankl and there was Sigmund Freud. Two very different perspectives world of psychology. Frank was actually a student of Freud and was it was very controversial that he veered off and kind of did his Freud's assumption is that everybody at their core is self-centered. Everybody at their core is self-absorbed. And what motivates people is their own pleasure, is their own self-gratification. Frankel said, no, what motivates people is meaning. There's something deeper than, them own, than their own self. And this is something he observed as a Holocaust survivor. He noticed, he writes in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He says, this isn't empirical. This is more anecdotal. Or... But the people that had a reason to live, had motivation to live, ended up surviving the Holocaust. What motivates people is meaning, not pleasure. And the Rebbe's approach was more uh, that of Frankl. That everybody has deep down inside this divine spark, this soul, more than just itself. There was a university psychologist, uh, 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 professor, professor of psychology. I think he was University of Minnesota, but I don't remember. Who paid a visit, a Jewish guy, paid a visit to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he says, Rabbi, I know you have leanings toward Frankl. 
especially given your um, acidic knowledge and background. Everybody has this spark inside and everybody's good deep down inside. But I can tell you as a counselor and as a professor of second, I come in I come in contact with a lot of people and I see a lot of dirt. I see a lot of dirt. And yes, on the outside, people seem to be nice and they smile and they're kind and they're polite. But you get to know them and there's just a ton of dirt, there's a ton of baggage, there's a ton of negativity. So I don't understand how you lean toward Frankel's um, position that everybody has, is motivated by meaning rather than self-gratification. So the Rebbe gave him an analogy. Go to a beautiful city. Go to Singapore, one of the cleanest cities out there. He didn't say Singapore. I'm saying Singapore. I want to go to Singapore. No. Uh, <laughs> if they have Diet Coke there. No. Go to Corona there, I'm sure. They don't know how to have Corona there. Otherwise, they get, uh, <laughs> they get arrested. <laughs> go to a beautiful city. It looks nice. There's beautiful trees, beautiful buildings, structured well, planned well, great landscape. And you're right. If you dig under the surface of that site, you're going to see dirt. You're right. You need to dig deeper. Keep on digging. Because if you keep digging, you'll hit wellsprings. Yes, on the outside, people may seem nice. And if you dig deep, you'll see dirt. You'll see negativity. The problem is you stop digging. Keep digging. Keep digging. There's a wellspring. There's a soul. And it's the same thing with us. Sometimes we are more in touch with our negative selves, with our self-centered, self-oriented selves, our lustful selves. We need to just dig a little bit more. And that's through this Marirut, soften us up, and eventually the soul comes out and we can experience joy. Question? Okay, so, so the thing about meaning, you can find meaning if your basic needs are met. So like Freud mentioned basic needs and like everything is like, um, yeah, it's like, so if your basic needs are met, it's easier to find the meaning than, than, than if, you, if, you, if you're in a place where your basic needs aren't met because you're not on that level yet. So like in the Holocaust, when all your basic things are taken away from you, it's hard to find meaning and purpose. I don't, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just talking from... Um, no, I, you're right. That, that's a very practical standpoint. It's true. Um, and that's why... You know, even halachically, Torah mandates that we take care of ourselves. Torah mandates that we feed ourselves. Torah mandates that we take care of our basic needs because that motivates us to be able to, to thrive. Yes, I mean, it's, it's hard with these theorists because everything, but you can't even theorize if you've got your, your basic needs haven't been met in terms of, um, that's why the meaning is more of a, yeah. You have to be on a higher cognitive level and in a good space before you can find this meaning. Agreed. But sometimes that could put you in a good space. You find it. And in other words, our, our, our goal here is to create that space. Because if you can create the space, then, then you're safe in any situation. And Frankel writes in his book that he saw people create that space. It motivated them to get out, to hold on. Now, that's not to say they didn't suffer trauma from the Holocaust and that they didn't have other issues and that they didn't suffer in there. Everything's all good. And it's not to say that. 100% people suffered and it was bad. But what he saw 
Did they find meaning within the Holocaust or did they find meaning after the Holocaust? They found motivation to get out of there. So they, they used the energy to get out. Yeah. They found motivation to at least want to get out, to want to survive. They used the bitter to become energized, to make it Exactly. They, they found some sort of motivation to get out, whether it's one day they're going to start a family or, or whatever it was. Um, but, but the point was they were able to tap into something deep within themselves. Sadness won't allow that to happen. Bitterness can motivate that. Can help us be more sensitive to our deep inner selves. Which is ultimately the point. Um, he concludes this section of the chapter. He says um, the, the, the last... Um, the, the sorry, the last bold paragraph on 354. Now that I've discovered my soul, and yes, my body's still very much present, right? It's a very important focus in my life, but I still know that I have a deeper depth. Now I can reorient my focus. Now that I know I have this soul, and I can be conscious of it, because I've developed that sensitivity. Now, I can reorient my focus in life and study more Torah to intellectually engage in my relationship with God, perform more mitzvot to physically engage in my, mitzvot, my, my relationship with God, and to pray, to daven, to emotionally engage in my relationship with God. I have that motivation because I know I have that soul. Make sense? I know I have that deep. In other words, we, we haven't changed ourselves. The beautiful thing is, you know, whenever you see a class, this is going to change your life. It's scary. I don't want to go to that class. Bad marketing because I don't want to change my life. This is not changing our lives. Our bodies are still very much strong. Our lusts are still there. Our negative attitudes are still there. All we're doing is saying, yes, but despite all of that, I can still be sensitive to my soul. And when I am sensitive to my soul, what motivates that sensitivity is the Marirut. I can reorient my focus to focus on more meaningful and purposeful behavior to improve my relationship with God. And this is a great model to improve our relationship with people as well. There's a deeper part of the relationship that I haven't yet tapped into, and I know it's there. And I'm going to reorient myself to do more behavior that will strengthen that relationship. In the context of God, it's our Torah and mitzvot. In our, con in our interpersonal relationships, we all know um, in our own uh, lives. Make sense? Questions, comments, controversy? Okay, well, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Stop the recording. This Zoom relationship.